Today, we're talking to Kim Lane, who is the CEO of Conductor in Conway, Arkansas. She's an amazing young woman who has already done great things, but is going to continue to build an incredible entrepreneurial ecosystem in Arkansas and beyond. She has got reach globally already. She's a a very positive, warm, optimistic person, and I really appreciate that. I tend not to be that way, but I'll work on it. I'll start meditating and I need to start being more positive and optimistic because I tend to focus on the problems and the negative. I am a fixer. I want to fix everything. So I'm always looking for what the problems are. Of course, we need to do, but I would like to do it with a more positive attitude and with optimism about a future success. So anyway, please enjoy this conversation with Kim Lane and keep your eye on her. She is really just an amazing person. She's got a big, big future ahead of her and she is bringing people along with her and helping them have big futures. And I just cannot say enough how much I enjoyed this conversation. What is going on with you? There's a lot going on right now. So, you know, CEO of The Conductor, and that has just been so fulfilling. And I could go into depth on any any number of matters there. But something I'm really excited about right now, with The Conductor at least, is our Connect Growth Accelerator. So that's a partnership with the AEDC. We bring in Arkansas-based companies that are kind of poised for growth and teach them how to scale Connects. And so that, it sounds like, okay, well, duh, every single company wants to grow, but you, it's really a paradigm shift when you go from thinking, okay, I'm going to grow my company and we're going to hire a couple of employees to, oh, we are going to seriously scale this company. We need to have the infrastructure and processes in place to do that. Like if I hired 20 people today, what would my company look like? And we've had really, really good feedback about that program. So we are in about to finish the second cohort there, but that's one of those things where you can just really see the needle move almost before your eyes, which is really outstanding. One of the companies in the program um, is going to hire 20 new people this year. So just, just things like that, just total job creation, economic development within the state. Uh, we're doing a lot of other cool stuff with the conductor. We are the Conway Corporation. You might have seen this, but Conway Corporation, so they made a multi-million dollar gift in the form of a free co-working space. So it's going to be in the current city hall. And we're talking right now with the architect to totally redo city hall in Conway. Um, and it's right in the center of downtown. And it'll be Conway Corporation's, this is sort of their deal, but con, uh, the conductor is going to administer the space and it's going to be completely free co-working to the community, which is sort of unheard of. Super, super excited about that because it creates kind of a landing place and a physical community for people who are getting their feet on the ground. The second floor of the space is going to be scale-up space. So for companies that are growing um, with a couple of employees. Anyway, super excited about that. Um, and then personally, I recently actually launched an LLC. And I've been doing um, a good deal of entrepreneurial ecosystem consulting on the side. Um, so primarily with the Kauffman Foundation and with Facebook. So lots going on here. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know where to start with all this. So, um, and just to clarify, Conway Corp is basically, that's a city, like they own their utilities and all of that, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a city public utility. So Ricky Arnold is the former CEO. This gift is in honor of him. So it's going to be called the Arnold Innovation Center, and it's just been a completely collaborative project. And and I think this is customary for Comic Corporation to make a gift on behalf of the CEO uh, who's stepping down. And the details, I'm just going to be frank, the details on that history, I'm not quite clear on, but I do know that this is also part of the Conway 125 campaign, which is under the, the Chamber of Commerce in Conway. The startup type was part of that. So this is like a collaboration of Chamber of Commerce, Conway Corporation, um, Conductor. Now the city of Conway is involved because it's going to be in where City Hall is currently. It's just a kind of a beautiful collaboration and it's going to completely benefit the entire community. Yeah, there are just some amazing things going on in Conway. I feel like it's just growing. Yes, constantly. Yeah, and you know, our, I was just, I was just having this conversation. Um, It is really amazing. You know, the chamber is so to be commended, but they have focused a lot on quality of place. And, um, you know, Conway is one of the most affordable places in the entire nation to live, which is awesome. But then we also have like this amazing trail system. And we were the first city in the state to get a bike share program. Our median age is like 27. And over the last decade, our workforce has become increasingly more diverse and young. So it is just, it's just a really, really good place to live and work. Do you find that there's been an increase of graduates from Hendricks and UCA who, who are deciding to stay in Conway, whereas before they may have spread out and gone elsewhere? Definitely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's the interesting thing, too, about, like, 
the millennial generation is they care so much about quality of life, quality of place that they're going to, that matters to them a lot of times more than the actual job that they're working. So if we have three colleges here in Conway and if we can create a place that they really like and don't want to leave, then we are going to have an increasingly younger population. Actually, to give an example, the conductor does the health sciences entrepreneurship boot camp. Every summer, we partner with UAMS and bring in college students from around the state, teach them how to start a health sciences venture. I was just talking to an alum of the program who's only here for a week, and he's thinking about moving to Conway. He right now uh, lives in Searcy, goes to Harding. But he was like, man, I just loved Conway when we were there with the boot camp, and I'd love to live there. Just a, it's a great city. I cannot say enough good things about it. I just love it so much. So let's back up to the beginning. Where are you from? Little Rock. How long have you lived in Conway since you took this job? Two years. And I actually, it all sort of happened at the same time. And your husband is from that area. Is that right? Yeah, he's from Moralton. So his whole family kind of is around this area. And honestly, the situation with my actually moving here was Conway has an amazing trail system and it's residential. So it kind of weaves through neighborhoods. And I spent so much time running on that trail. I actually, long story short, lost like 50 pounds in a year um, running on that trail. And so it sort of has like a, a, a near and dear place in my heart. And I found this house on Zillow and it was for sale by owner. And the only image on, on Zillow was like a Google Earth view. I couldn't tell anything about it, but it said, has a sunroom, has a fireplace, and it's on the trail. And I ended up looking at it and, and talk about low cost of living. It was it was so much lower in price than any other thing I had ever looked at in Little Rock, um, to be honest. And uh, like my mortgage is less than an apartment rent would be. Wow. And uh, it just worked out perfectly. So, I mean, all the chips kind of fell into place and I ended up buying it just by myself a couple of years ago. I see your Facebook photos and it is gorgeous. Thank you. You definitely have that sort of kind of, I don't know if it's Dutch, but the minimalism, modern style. Thank you. Well, we have, a, we have a lot of family in Denmark. I am so inspired by Denmark and Danish architecture. Like we go there frequently. So that has definitely been a driving force of inspiration in the house. Have you, I know Kelly, your twin sister lived there for a little while, right? Yes. She's still there? She's not. So we had a Danish au pair when we were little. So I have a twin sister and an older sister. So we had someone from Denmark. Her name is Meta come live with us. And then we just stayed, she's kind of like a sister. I mean, we stayed in close contact. So my twin sister was her au pair a couple of years ago. So she lived in Denmark for a year. And then my, like my whole family, like all seven of us visited, went to Denmark together a couple of years ago. And it's just a beautiful place and just their whole approach. I mean, I've been so inspired. Their whole approach to life is all about, like you said, minimalism and not having a ton of stuff and not like getting to the point where you're living paycheck to paycheck, but just enjoying like people and, um, you know, ha- enjoying what you have and having lots of candles around the house and dinners at home and things like that. So I just love the whole lifestyle. Well, it is certainly fun to watch uh, from from the Facebook. All right. So you're from Little Rock. Walk me through your school, your professional life until you got to the conductor. So even in school, you know, I, I sort of am involved in lots of things. And I think it's by, by design. Um, so even in like high school, you know, I was like, well, you know, I always, I always kind of harken back to, I was like obsessed with poetry in high school. By that, I mean, I made it my goal one year to memorize as many poems as I could. And I memorized like 44 poems that year and would like to sit in class and like write poems on my arms and, and crazy stuff like that. But I sort of became obsessed with this whole idea of, I read a lot of Thoreau and there's a lot of, of, context in there about, you know, the massive mended lives of quiet desperation and things like that. And I remember thinking as a 16 year old, like, oh my gosh, there are so many unhappy people. And like, there always have been, that was in the 1800s when he said that. And there are so many like unfulfilled lives and how, how can I be different in my own life? Like, how can I take control as a 16 year old and and not have a life that's not well lived basically. And so, um, I mean, even at that point, like I became the like yearbook editor and student council vice president and, you know, captain of the soccer team and captain of the tennis team and stuff like that. He was very involved in high school, started a new club that was like an environmental club to help students understand um, conservation and sustainability and things like that. Oh, and I actually started a branch of a nonprofit. So there is a nonprofit called Invisible Children. You might have heard of it. It was a big deal, like, you know, 10 years ago. I was so much of an activist of 
helping others and things like that. And I obviously still care a lot about that. So individual children help with helping children in Uganda. And I heard about the schools for schools program where you could set up a chapter in your high school. And so I did that. And like the individual children, people came to Lutheran high where I went to school and it was this big rally. And anyway, so then fast forward to, I went to U of A freshman year and invisible children actually had like a new nonprofit kind of arm called Liberty in North Korea. And they reached out to me kind of being like, Hey Kim, we remember you from high school and do you want to start this new kind of chapter on the U of A campus to help refugees from North Korea? I did that. My twin sister and I ended up transferring to Hendrick for our sophomore year. And um, it was just sort of like entering this entire world of like-minded people. It was really, really awesome. And so at Hendrick, totally loved it studied English and anthropology and I sort of have this obsession with people and what makes people do what they do and why why do cultures exist and how can we work together for like the common good of everyone and things like that so totally loved that did a lot of nonfiction writing um because that's sort of my passion like again what are people's actual stories and how can we learn from each other and was also the editor-in-chief of the newspaper at Hendrix and so that was just all so fulfilling to me I also had a lot of internships at Hendrix. So I interned at Pepper International was my absolute dream job at the time. And then I had a great experience as an intern there. And then I interned at the Clinton Foundation. Um, I interned at the Arkansas Times and then was a freelance editor or a freelance writer for them. And then um, studied in London with my twin sister for a semester. And I studied Shakespeare in London. And then I interned for Tales from the South, which is like a at the time, I don't know if you remember, but it was like a radio series or, or a speaker series where people would share their true stories. So it was really perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my college background. Are your parents activists? I mean, besides the poetry and reading, do you think there's something else that kind of influenced your desire to live a full life, to protect the environment or you know, all the things that you are interested in, people? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, my my dad is definitely a poetry lover. I think that's sort of what planted that seed. But I don't know. I just have always, like, always been really passionate about stuff like that. Like, how can we help each other? I really, really do believe in just, like, the good of all people and that, um, and you've probably heard me say this before, but I'm a big believer that every single human being has value. And um, I think we can all learn from each other. I don't I don't know where that came from. You know, my whole, most of my family lives in Washington, D.C. So my dad's family is from Fayetteville, but, like, all of his brothers and sisters moved to D.C. So I grew up um, going to D.C. and hearing these, like, amazing stories of, like my aunt and uncle met each other in the White House and, and one of my aunts, and I think I was really inspired by my one aunt. Um, she was an editor for the World Bank. And so, I mean, we used to grow up like visiting the World Bank and like hearing what she did. And she actually marched in Washington for women's rights and she was like my age. And so I was always just so inspired by that. Like, I guess just the whole idea of every single human has a voice. And like, if you, if you see a problem, well, by God, go find a solution to it. And, you know, my dad's a small business owner. He owns his own um, optometry practice, and he also fought in Vietnam, and, like, he did a lot of a lot of really commendable things in the Air Force. And, you know, my mom is also a, a strong professional woman. So I don't know as far as the activist part goes, but I was obviously really influenced on my parents. Have you had to overcome struggles, insecurities, fears to be able to do what you want to do? Or do you feel like you're a natural speaker, leader? public figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's something I think about a lot, like what what is it that makes people like quote unquote leaders and my, I mean, and I've talked to my mom about this even recently, but my entire life, like if there's ever a time that someone's like, hey, we need someone to step up, man, my hand was raised immediately. So, I mean, I just have always wanted to be like, hey, give it to me, pass it to me, you know, whatever. Even in sports, like as a very, very young kid, I was like, always had to be the one with the ball, like running the fastest scoring goal, or I would get mad at myself if I wasn't like perfect. So, I mean, I don't know. And and I don't know where that came from. And my kind of like perfectionist personality in that regard is, is very different than my twin sister. And she's also, I mean, she's, she's extremely, she has so many talents, you know, her, um, but she's, she comes from like an artistic background, very creative. And so our approaches are completely different. So anyways, yeah, I don't really know where it came from. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's great. And I do think that some people are just sort of, it's an inherent uh, gift or power. And then in others, it, it can be learned for sure. Even in high school, just like I remember that I was just really like different than a lot of people. Like 
I think that I really liked everyone. And so I think people like you and you like them kind of thing. So, I mean, I had a lot of friends, but I, everyone was, man, that girl is a hippie. Because, again, I had poetry written all over my arms, and I would wear, like, the tie-dye everything and, like, talk about recycling all the time. But I always kind of felt like, well, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm a hippie. But, like, it was like I didn't really fit into any group, but I was sort mm-hmm. of okay with that. Like, I was okay being very much like a free thinker. I read something in Lee Dickinson, and, like, I'm pretty sure, oh, I guess it's Emerson, actually, who said to be greatest to be misunderstood. So I always felt like, man, I'm just going to be, like, this change agent and do my own thing, and I've always just felt totally okay doing stuff like that. So after Hendrix, what did you do? First job out of school was, so I wanted to be an editor. Like, that was sort of my goal, like, this whole storytelling, um, become a journalist. So my first job of school was in advertising. Um, it just wasn't what I was looking for as far as just my, you know, I mean, coming from a background of wanting to like a humanitarian kind of thing, advertising is just not that necessarily. And so I was there for about a year. And then my twin sister actually was like, oh, well, there's this organization or this, this company called Brit & Co. And they're hiring editors. You should look into it. This is a massive media company based in San Francisco. Britt Morin is the founder, and she used to work at Google um, and started this startup. They were looking for an editor. So basically, like, I, I reached out to them, and they were, and this was sort of like, okay, like, I, I sort of felt a little bit unfulfilled, and like, I want to, I've been reading for 10 years about chasing after your passions, and so it was sort of like eating me alive that I wasn't in a place that I felt like I was flourishing, I think. So whenever it was like, oh, my gosh, like a writing type job, I'm just going to go for it. So they were like, okay, well, you have to do like a test um, article for us. So basically, Brit & Co. produces like 100 articles a day focused on women. And so it's like geared toward like pop culture, 20s to 30s women. And it's all in the form of listicles. So those are like list articles. So like top 10 cardigans for fall. And I don't even know a ton about fashion um, or pop culture, but I was like, well, I'll just go for it. So I think I sent them some article ideas and they sent back and kind of chose one and said, okay, write this. Well, the day that they asked me to do the test, I remember it like indelibly. So I was at the beach with my family. It was my 22nd birthday. They were like, okay, write this today. It's due, you know, by this time. And I was like, I'm doing it. So spend the whole day like on the beach under an umbrella writing this article on second day hairstyles. And um, submitted it to them, and it they ended up publishing it, and it was like the mo- one of the most read articles on the website. It got a quarter of a million pages in the first week. So they brought me on as an editor. That was awesome. So basically, I quit my full time job to go do that. I also was doing like freelance writing for some other publications in, in town. That was kind of a crazy deal because I was like, well, how you know can I be like you know, a full-time writer for you, a full-time editor. And it was like, yeah, that would be 20 articles a week. Well, it takes four hours an article. But at the time, I was like, I'll do anything, you know. And, and I actually, like, calculated one time, like, what I was making per hour. And it was, like, hard to live on what I was making, basically. But I was so happy that I was, like, doing what I love. So anyway, I was covering, like, the VMAs for them, New York Fashion Week, and a lot of high-profile stuff. And it was fun. And then um, that led to a job at Arkansas Money and Politics Magazine. Mm-hmm. So Eric, that's how we met, actually, Eric Francis. Mm-hmm. Um, so they basically were starting their online platform, and they didn't. Prior to this, they kind of just published the magazine articles on there, and so they hired me and kind of were wondering, kind of knocking around ideas of what online might look like. It seemed like a really fun challenge to me, and so it was like figuring out how to produce new content and things like that. But I had just, I was fresh off of this Brit and Co job. And so I was able to use a lot of the methods that they use as far as getting contributors. stuff. So I started finding contributors to write for Arkansas and politics. Um, and of course you're familiar with that. Um, mm-hmm. But so ended up having like 40 contributors who wrote for the magazine and I got to edit their work. And it was like CEOs of companies and bank presidents. And then entrepreneurs was the other group I reached out to. And I remember going to a couple of entrepreneurial events thinking, these people are really impressive. And like, I didn't even know this whole community kind of was emerging in Arkansas. There was one program in particular called One Million Cups. That's a program that the Kaufman Foundation runs in Kansas City. And it happens in over 70 cities in the nation. And so I was like, well, I'm going to make it my job to go to One Million Cups every single Wednesday and like live tweet about it. And so that kind of led to the group asked me to be an organizer of One Million Cups. And then I became the lead organizer of One Million Cups, which means I'm the liaison between One Million Cups and the Kaufman Foundation. And I could go into more there, but fast forward, now I'm a consultant for the Kaufman Foundation because of that gig. Um, but so anyway, the job at Arkansas Million Politics led to um, working at the Innovation Hub. 
So they were launching a new accelerator in partnership with Fabulous Health and Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And I was a director on that, um, on the team. That was really, really cool. So we brought in companies from around the world who were working on healthcare startups, just put them through this 13-week accelerator. That was a really, really cool experience. And then I became the director of operations at the Innovation Hub. And that role, that was sort of a transformational role for me, too, because I was sort of like looking at our partnerships and the impact of the Innovation Hub and like, like how do we reach more people? But not only how do we reach more people locally, but like nationally and internationally. And so I spent weeks in that position just totally cold calling like massive organizations like Google for Entrepreneurs and the Global Entrepreneurship Network and the Kauffman Foundation being like, okay, like how do we get on your radar? How does, how does, not, not we as in the Innovation Hub, but like Arkansas, how do we get on your radar? And I remember one conversation was with the Global Entrepreneurship Network and I was looking at their website. They had like Portland, Oregon had a page and you know, Washington, D.C., and all these, all these cities in the U.S. had, like, a presence. And I called, and I said, how does, how does Arkansas get one of those? And the girl said, this conversation. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I need to do? And she was like, you need to get partners and sponsors and, like, hold a global entrepreneurship week and all this stuff. And so I did, and we reached, like, 400 people in the very first um, global entrepreneurship week, Arkansas. And I also used that as a time to really, like, connect all the different entrepreneurial support organizations in Arkansas because there are a lot of people doing this work, and it's important for us to work together. I'm a big proponent of that. Shortly after that, I, I came onto the conductor team. Um, but I want to talk about Global Entrepreneurship Network for a second. They called me, like, three months later. And they're like, hey, Kim, we love the work you did in Arkansas. And, like, would you want to come be a delegate the Global Entrepreneurship Congress in Johannesburg, South Africa, like all expenses paid. We have to know in 48 hours if you can come or not. And it was one of those like crazy, oh my gosh, this is so anyway, I did. I went and that was a life-changing experience. And I could go in depth about that. But so it's just been a really cool journey. So I ended up coming on to the conductor team November 2016. And that that was the day we launched the conductor. Wow. Yeah. When you say we launched the conductor, was that your brainchild or you as a group or did you get hired by the group? Yeah, that's a really good question. So this had been in the work. Okay, so there's a lot of research around like this whole idea of an entrepreneurial ecosystem and entrepreneurs are, are much more likely to be successful if there's a group, there's like this community and ecosystem. And so Conway, a lot of thought leaders in Conway were like looking around and it was like, okay, well, UCA has an entrepreneurship minor, but there's not this like community. The Chamber of Commerce and um, UCA and a number of other people, and Jeff Standards, my business partner, was, was among those people, started talking to Startup Junkie, who was already doing this work in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And they've been kind of around the longest. They've been around for 10 years. And, and Startup Junkie did an analysis of Conway to kind of see what Conway could would need to be this like entrepreneurial ecosystem kind of thing. Well, I'm very good friends with a lot of Startup Junkie people. And so they knew that I was kind of looking for a house in Conway. It just, the timing worked out perfectly. Like it was like, hey, there's this new initiative that we're working on and kind of ran it by me. I mean, it was just, it worked out perfectly. And so I decided to to come on and that it sounded like a really cool thing to help start something from scratch. So Jeff Sandridge is the chief catalyst of the conductor and I'm the I'm the CEO. Um, but we launched, yeah, in, in November. So like basically like everything in Conway, it was a majorly joint effort. Right. But you have been with them since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, first I want to talk about South Africa. So talk to me about that experience, what it was like, what the purpose of the trip, you know, the, the event was and how it how it changed your life. Okay. Or what yeah. new perspective did it give you, all of that stuff. From like a personal standpoint, I think I have to say this too. I used to be so scared of flying. My dad obviously was an Air Force pilot. We actually had a small plane when I was growing up because he was in all these like share plane sharing program type things. But I used to get so freaked out about flying. And I remember like that trip being such a mind over matter. Like I will do this. I will go be like this U.S. delegate to the Global Entrepreneurship Congress. It was just one of those moments. I don't know. Um, but the plane flight over there was 17 hours long. You fly over the Bermuda Triangle. Um, but anyway, it, it was cool though. So, I mean, just, just, so, it was just so much of an honor to even be asked to do something like that. And, and coming from, you know, here I was four months prior just begging for a place on their website. Now I'm like representing America at this thing. It was just such an honor. But while I was there, so basically they, they've asked me to like help mentor communities around the world and starting 1 million cup type organizations, but the Global Entrepreneurship Network 
um, version of that is called Startup Huddle. So I was there talking about here's how to start it. Here's how to get stakeholders involved. Here's how to get partners. You know, here's how to talk with entrepreneurs, stuff like that. Then I like met with people in Russia who were starting one and met with people in, you know, um, Panama starting one. And it was just so inspiring. That was my first sort of case of international entrepreneurship. So when you get down to the local level, you know, everyone has like the, the issues that, that are hard with starting a business, like funding and things like that. Um, but when you look at it internationally, you just have so much of a different perspective of, oh my gosh, there are like women who like aren't allowed to start a company. And there mm-hmm. is one girl in particular who I have become close friends with. She was 17 years old at the time. Um, but she just was so super inspiring doing this ecosystem building work in Pakistan, I think is where she lives. But, but, she, and she and I now have traveled different places around the world together. But it was just like hearing stories about we are so fortunate in America that anyone who wants to start a business can go start it. And yeah, we have problems, but, but we are able to, we are empowered to do things like that. So, I mean, I remember doing this one design thinking workshop and it was like, I'm surrounded by people from every single person in my group of like 10 people from a different country. And we all have different perspectives, but we're all there under the banner of starting a company and taking control of your own life and things like that, which is extremely inspiring. So, so it was just great. And I remember actually in that design thinking workshop, we were designing like a quote, ideal entrepreneurial ecosystem. And the, and the idea people came up with was a public private partnership with the university. And I was kind of keeping my mouth shut because that's exactly what the conductor is. So it was just a really cool, like, wow, we have such a good model here. I'm so fortunate for the work we're doing in Conway. And then the other outcome of that trip, which was really, really great was I was talking at the end, like they had me like stand up and talk about some of our entrepreneurial initiatives with students. And I'm really passionate about talking about youth entrepreneurship because I think if we can kind of plant that seed in young people, it can have a huge impact on their lives. And this guy came up to me after and he was like, hey, my name is Polydor. I went to the, the Arkansas through this like leadership exchange program and all this stuff. And I really am interested in what you were talking about. And I'm like, cool. And so there's this one program called High School Startup Day that, that we started a couple of years ago in partnership with Junior Achievement. And he wanted to know specifically about that program. So Fast forward a couple of months, he emails me and he's like, hey, I really want to come to Arkansas and learn more about that program, High School Startup Day. Can I come? It was one of those, sure. So he ends up coming to Arkansas, benchmarking our programs. It was actually the week he opened our makerspace in Conway. And so he got to meet the governor because the governor was there and he got to meet junior achievement people. And this particular program, we bring in high school students for a half day and, and help them solve a problem they face in education using entrepreneurial processes. So like, thinking about the problems in a different way and actually thinking about solving them. And so he took that model back to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is where he's from. And he and I actually went to Istanbul, Turkey this year together. And when we were there, he was like, hey, Kim, I really want to update you on how that went because we've run two different high school startup days. And I'm like, okay, how'd it go? And he's like, well, it was like, it. he's like, it changed lives in the Congo. He said, we partnered with the local chamber and a local bank. And he said, for every single student who went through the program, they had a bank account opened up for them. And then for every student on the winning team, because it's a competition, every student on the winning team got a scholarship to go to school the next year. And I was like, well, what happens if you don't have a scholarship to go to school? And he's like, well, you just don't go. So he was like, this, this was a paradigm shift in people because it caused them from going from job seekers to job creators and they had never thought like that before so they've run it multiple times they've reached 400 students and then the global entrepreneurship network asked me and polydor to like talk together in Istanbul about international collaboration and what that could look like and that was so awesome and then um the global entrepreneurship network reached out to me this year and they're like hey we actually want to scale that program internationally could you develop a playbook for it so that other countries around the world can replicate it and we did and so this year it was part of their like international playbook of, of programs to run. So it's just been just like wow. so gratifying. And, you know, I feel like people, I feel like it's like one of those planting a seed things that ends up just kind of blooming so fast. But I think people think like, oh, well, you can't have an international impact. And I'm like, you really can. Like you never know mm-hmm. what little thing will lead to something major. And to me, that's just one of those things. Like if one child's life in the Democratic Republic of the Congo was changed or even one thought was changed because of that program, that is fulfilling to me. That's amazing. I'm so jealous of all these things you get to do. So um, you and I have had a private conversation about diversity. Talk to me about diversity and how how we can create better diversity. So this is something that I'm so 
passionate about. And that is because diversity and inclusion are just so, so important. It's one of those things that unless you're actively talking about it or actively like being an advocate of, I think that things don't change. And so actually the Kauffman Foundation does so much research on this. And we, we talk a lot about reducing barriers to entry for people. And that can even be if you don't see anyone starting a business who looks like you, you the, the sometimes the thought is that you can't start a business. And so mm-hmm. to me, it's the role of these like ecosystem builders to make sure there's a diverse group of people at the table, at events and things like that. But just the other part of this is funding. And that's probably the biggest thing you'll hear or research if you look up like women in entrepreneurship is this humongous funding gap. And mm-hmm. and I was just talking with someone about this today because people are like, well, you know, why is it that women don't get funded? And there are tons of different reasons. And, you know, part of it is because a lot, most of the venture capitalists are men. There is a disconnect a lot of times in women pitching their companies and male investors not resonating with what the company is. And I'll give you an example. So there's a great Freakonomics podcast. Um, it's called the Taboo Trisecta. And these two sisters developed a product, like a feminine product for basically this period underwear. I mean, I think that's even what they call it. So it's for, for like their older sister was a surgeon and she like had this leakage problem and said they wanted to develop a solution for her. It was a great idea and they did tons of research and like developed this product and it was environmentally friendly. So now here they are pitching this to teams of male investors. And the investors were literally like, oh, well, like, let me go home and ask my wife if this is a good idea. And and they were like, well, hey, there are so many problems there. But, like, first of all, you might not pitch it the right way and all this stuff. And so they ended up not getting any funding and, like, doing a Kickstarter campaign. And now they're wildly successful. But it's just that. Like, it's not, like, any necessarily like a fault of a, a male investor. It's just there are there needs to be diversity. It needs to be an equal playing field. And so just, just to give, like, some stats on that. In, in 2017, 2% of the $85 billion raised in venture capital backing went to female-founded startups. So so only 2% of that. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm shocked at that. I knew it was going to be low, but I did not realize it was that low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge... Uh, there's There's a big... Yes. Black women only raised 0.0006% of the $424 billion in tech venture funding since, since 2009. So it's, wow. it's definitely a huge problem. So yeah, so in numbers wise, that means that all women teams received $1.9 billion of the $85 billion invested by venture capitalists last year in 2017. Yeah. And that is a bit better than 2016 when female founders only had 1.9% of the funding. So it is a huge issue and, and it's very complex, like I was saying. And something else that's interesting just in terms of like women and leadership positions. And I just read this the other day and was just like shocked that fewer, fewer women run big companies than men named John. Named John. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's just... <laughs> It's a systemic problem, mm-hmm. and 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 here's my stance on it. Like, I'm not a big like I'm big on like proactively talking about it. It is a big problem, but to me, like, I can't change what's going on in New York. Like, I can't change San Francisco. I can't boil the ocean, but what I can do is make a difference in Arkansas. So, and I'll give you an example. I just did this big this big women in tech talk in Northwest Arkansas, the Women in Tech Conference, and I was talking about it. I just said, you know, guys, like, if we're talking about an equal playing field and the importance of individual voices. And like you, you hear about like, okay, well, like an all male team, like that, I don't even remember what car company, car manufacturer it was, but it was like an all male team designing a car and they brought a female on the team. And, and she was like, oh, well, like that cup holder wouldn't work for my kid's cup. And mm-hmm. oh, well, let's restructure. And it's just like, it's not, again, like it's no fault of anyone. It's just we need different voices around the table for diversity. So I'm doing this talk about like the whole idea of, and this is really intriguing to me about entrepreneurship in general, like our world has shifted from, in the industrial age, if you think about it, it was all about scaling one person's ideas. So we had factories and we had, you know, assembly lines and everyone's doing the same exact task all the time. And you kind of like lived and breathed under this person who is typically a male. And now the world has shifted to a much more like connected age where it's more dependent on your own social network, personal network, and you are more empowered to make a difference in your own life. And so, and I've had so so many conversations with women who will like come to me and they're like, okay, well, I want to start this or I want to do this, but like, I, I can't. And I'm like, well, why can't you? Well, you know, no one gave me permission to do that. And I'm like, well, you don't, you don't need permission from anyone, but like, if you need it, here is me telling you to go do it. 
you know, and I actually had a, a woman come to me months later and she was like, I just want you to know, I actually had her over to my house for coffee. I love having people over for coffee in my house. But, um, we had this conversation and she came over and she said, I just want you to know that, that coffee had changed my life. Like no one had ever told me that she's now gone on to like start a number of different organizations in her hometown. And like, she has a different life. But anyway, I'm doing this talk in Northwest Arkansas. And these two females came up to me and they were like, we had no clue this was such a big problem. Like, what can we do to help women? Is it like, you know, invest in women or what is it exactly? And so it was just one of those things to me, like a kind of a light bulb moment where, wow, just talking about it makes a difference. Because people don't realize that women only get 2% of the venture capital funding. I think the only way to change that is to be cognizant of it and like think of a way to proactively make it better. And speaking of... I guess tapping into resources. I've been in Arkansas for 21 years and I have always thought we can be better. You know, I feel like there's so many untapped resources, human resources in Arkansas, and there's just no reason that we always have to be next to last in this country on anything. We don't have fewer smarter people than New York does or mm-hmm. less talented people than California has. And so what do we need to be doing in Arkansas to really start tapping into those resources? and making improvements, whether it's in education or technology. Do we want to be the next Austin? I mean, you know, I don't I don't know what that really means. I'm rambling a little bit. Well, I, I just feel like we're just low on all these lists and there's no reason for it. I, I agree completely. And, you know, that's my thing, too, is like making a local impact. What do we do to change that? You know, I'm, I'm on the board of the Arkansas Fellowship, which is a really cool program that kind of connects college talent with high-paid, two-year high-paid fellowships at a tech company or something like so, like Apogee, Dillard, um, the conductor are, are all on the list of host companies there. But keeping good talent in the state is so important. Obviously, there's been this brain drain. And speaking of like Austin and things like that, like why can't we be that? And I'm big on like, why can't Conway be that? We are, we are if you're talking about starting a company now, there are tons of free resources for entrepreneurs. We're about to have free co-working space. You can have a house that's extremely affordable, a great quality of life. Why can't we be that? And to me, there's no reason we can't. So I'm passionate about making that happen. And that's some of the work I've been doing with Facebook, actually, is looking at what's Arkansas doing in that regard as far as like connecting rising talent with tech jobs and what might that look like in the future. So, I mean, I think I think there are really good opportunities there. I, I think that we could be a total destination for people. And, and also, like, hats off to the Women's Foundation and places like that that are thought leaders on this topic as well. Mm-hmm. How can we all work together to move the needle in that regard? Yeah, they're doing amazing work. Mm-hmm. Can you think of maybe top two or three mistakes? I kind of don't believe in mistakes. I, mm-hmm. I use all of my mistakes as lessons, but maybe three common challenges that people who want to start businesses face. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So one of the biggest reasons startups fail is because they develop, this is one of the stats they use, they develop a solution to a problem that no one has. So mm-hmm. we see this a lot where someone's like, hey, oh my gosh, I have like $5,000 saved up and I'm going to go pay a developer and develop this app and it's going to be awesome. And we actually had an entrepreneur with that exact story come talk to us. And we're like, well, you know, before you start a company, it's best to go talk to potential customers and see if this is an actual problem. And like what you're what you're trying to do when you're doing this customer discovery, you're not validating your solution. Like you're not going in and saying, this is my app. Does it look good? Because people will probably say yes. But if you say like, hey, is this a problem for you? Like take your solution out of the picture, try to validate your problem. And then we say there's a difference between a problem and a nuisance. And a problem is something people will pay for a solution to. A nuisance is something people put up with. Mm -hmm. So we all have lots of nuisances. But I think a lot of times people think like they live in their own world and think I have this great idea and they go develop it and then they don't have any customers and they fail. So we try to prevent that on the front end. I would say that is the biggest thing we see. Other, other issues we see, not listening to your market is huge too. Like, and that's what we talk, we talk about pivoting a lot in entrepreneurship. So like the whole idea of like, if you're going to fail, fail fast and move on. Like we have a lot, I, I can think of a number of people who it's like the market is telling them this isn't going to work. And sometimes people think, oh, well, the market's not ready. But sometimes it's like, well, it could be that this is just not the best solution for people. And so I think you have to be really cognizant of that. Some people will just keep drawing money at it and drawing money at it until it's like a, a thinking shift. And sometimes it's best just to kind of like cut your losses and say, this was a great learning experience. And I learned about 
starting a company and like finding partners and dealing with tough conversations, but I'm going to like talk this up to great experience and start a different company or something. So I don't know. We see, we see a lot of that. I think the biggest takeaways are like do your homework, do customer discovery, do market research. These are all free resources in Arkansas. The Arkansas Small Business Technology Development Center, the ASB TDC does free market research for people. It's an incredible resource. And then obviously the conductor does free consulting. That's why we exist because we want to help people start businesses, but we want them to do it without going into debt. And there are also tons of free resources for people, or tons of resources through like the SBA and the USDA specifically for rural entrepreneurs. And that's something I'm passionate about is helping small businesses in rural Arkansas because it can have such a huge impact in those communities. But it's sometimes hard to reach people who might not identify as an entrepreneur, but are small business owners. But anyway, so I'm passionate about that. I'm like looking for the solutions to these problems and helping mitigate problems before they're actually problems for entrepreneurs. My problem is that, and I I would imagine you see a lot of this too, because I don't think I'm special, but I have so many ideas and kind of ADHD. It's really hard for me to just sit down and figure it out and figure out a way to make it work and make it profitable. Do you all provide mentors who can kind of keep us on task if we need it. Yeah. Yeah. And huge hats off to my business partner, Jeff Sandridge. So he spends, he does probably like three to four consulting meetings a day with people. And so that's like, we have tons of return clients who come on a very regular basis. And it's just, you know, anything from like, this is my idea. I have no clue how to get from point A to point Z. And we help map that out. Or even like we've even had companies years down the road and it's like, well, is this, is this expansion a good idea? And we'll like dig into the PL and like look at is, is it a good idea? It just sometimes it's just nice to bounce ideas off of someone. And like I think like in the past you used to have to like pay a consultant or something. And so that's what's nice. But what we do is we can help for free. And we also now have the perspective of having helped so many people. You do kind of see these patterns. And so you can help kind of put the missing pieces in place and also put a plan together. Like we're big on planning and taking action and staying on task and things like that. And so that is totally something we do. How do you find your mentors? That's an awesome. So there's a lot of research also around like how um, having a mentor can really change the trajectory of a startup. Um, in an entrepreneur. But that actually, we started out in the mentor network when we launched the conductor and it's, it's, it's more quite a bit, probably from even what's on the website. But it was sort of our close contacts of people in Conway trying to think about like, okay, do we have like a HR person, a marketing person, a bank, um, financing person who could help just lend expertise and, the mentor network. So whenever we have an entrepreneur who's facing a specific challenge or opportunity is the way we word it. So like if someone, like I said, like someone's like, okay, I'm having this major HR issue and I just do not know what to do. We'll sometimes bring the mentor network together for like an invite only dinner or lunch. And the entrepreneur just says like, it's very transparent. Here is my issue. What do you think I should do? And you get this room of experts who just give totally candid feedback. And I think that's one of our best events because people get leave with great feedback. And it's just nice, I think, to know that like there are people who altruistically want to give back. Like these are volunteers who are experts in their field who just want to see entrepreneurs succeed. I like that. And I say that because it's making me think about, I went to the social entrepreneur boot camp at the Rockefeller Institute oh, that cool. Startup Junkie put on a few years ago. We all had to give our pitches. And they just did not, they just did not get mine because I wanted to open a candy store to help pay for, you know, Women Lead Arkansas. I did not think that through very well, but I, you know, I had that and they were like, well, what, what, you know, what does candy have to do with women? And so, you know, my, my colleagues in the audience were like, we get it, we get it, sister, you know, rock on. But what was so exciting about that is, um, and I have always been plagued by insecurity, but it, instead of seeing it as a criticism and making me want to quit or, you know, feel bad about myself, it really just made me think about things differently. And mm-hmm. sometimes, and this is definitely true for me, sometimes I just need to hear something a certain way before I can actually get it, but it yeah. can change the whole trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I love this. And that's exactly what it sounds like with these dinners is that you just get this kind of honest feedback or even pushback or encouragement. And it can, it can really, I think, change the direction of a, of a company. You know, one of the questions that I want to ask people, and if, um, and if you can't think of anything now, you can, you know, tell me later if, if some, you come up with something, but it, can you think of a kindness someone gave to you just at any point in your life that, that is something you think about and remember? Yeah, man, I get like almost emotional thinking about that. So, I mean, 
you know, like reflecting, I, I just, I've, I've said this several times in this call, but just people and relationships are, are the most important thing to me. So like when I think about like, I mean, anything that I've even said on this call, as far as like, okay, going to the, what we've done with the conductor and going to these places around the world, like I just have so many people that I thank for that. Um, so, I mean, I just think it's so important to invest in each other. Like, I, I feel like I have had so many amazing people just, like, spend their time helping me. And, and I actually, Stephanie, this is at Leaders, or at, uh, at Women Lead, I think, that I heard this idea of having a personal board of directors where, like, mm-hmm. these are people who, who are kind of like in your court, who you, it's not like you talk to them every day or even like say, Hey, you're on my personal board. But it's like people who, if you have a, a challenge or something, you can kind of say like, Hey, what do you think about this? And different perspectives and different ages of people and things like that. And that has been transformational for me because I do have this, this group of people who, who are like my mentors and I bounce so many ideas off of them. But I mean, I'm thinking of like, there are certain people who, if I'm having something huge come up, I'll, I'll probably like wear them out with questions and stuff. But then, oh my gosh, I just am so, so grateful to them because it helps to have different perspectives and you can kind of get in your own head about things, but having mm-hmm. someone like lend a kind of a, an, an unbiased perspective helps so much. So I would say just people investing. I mean, you know, thinking back even to like, I think everyone needs someone to take a chance on them. And I, I'm so grateful to people who took a chance on me. You know, Eric Francis was definitely one of those people for me. So I would say that, and you know, now, for me it's important for me to like give back in that way and it's been so cool like I had actually at the end of one of our high school days I had this really super bright girl from Parkview she's a student come up to me and she was like hey and I only I only talked very briefly at that event she's like hey um she's about to go get on her school bus and she's like I don't have any strong female mentors in my life and like will you be my mentor and I'm like, oh my gosh, sure. You know, so she and I actually did like a Google um, chat this week and she's just like a really cool person. And, and she was like almost emotional on this call just talking about like her future and where is she going to go to college and like, what does her life look like? But like to me, just that kind of stuff is so fulfilling. So, I mean, I just think investing in, investing in other people, another person who's been awesome is Jeff Standard, my business partner, um, my parents, but, but you know, just taking time to, to give back to people. I'm, I know I'm rambling, but it's just, it's so important to me to do that. And I think, I really think that's like why we exist on this earth is to, to help make other people's lives better and to like work together to make a difference. Oh, I, you were, you were singing my song. I, and I think that's one of the reasons I just, admire you so much is because I feel the same way. I mean, I feel like I am compelled to make the world a better place, even for just one person. And, uh, and in doing that, it's in doing that, it makes my life better, you know? So yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. And, uh, I've always admired how positive you are because I can tend to, you know, kind of get lost in the negative, especially if I'm mad at some injustice, you know? And, um, so it's, it's really been a pleasure to, to watch you and, and to see Thank your you. success and how much you help other people. I just, I appreciate it so much. And you're an Arkansan of the year now. Yes. Congratulations. You are too, right? Yes. Yes. And you know what's funny about that is that that I was in 2014 and I got the email. It was, was Kelly there? Yes. (laughs) Okay. It must have been Kelly, your sister, but but she emailed and said, hey, you know, we want to, you know, we've chosen you as one of the Arkansas of the year. And my immediate response was, no. I haven't done anything. And it was just, and I thought, no, 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 Stephanie, you're trying to teach women to get out there, to toot their own horns, you know, to, to accept the, the, I don't know, the praise or, you know, whatever it is. So, and I think I wrote that to her too, that I immediately said no, but then I thought, no, I have to do this for women. So, yeah. So, you know, I had the same reaction. I, I think humbled is the best way to put it for me. Like, I, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Like, I just feel like I, I don't do this work for anything like that. I don't really know how right. I it. It's not for the recognition. It's because I like care and I want to do it. So like anytime yeah. someone reaches out and like, Hey, can we profile you? I'm like, really? Like, gosh, because uh, you know, I'm going to do it either way, you know? Right. So it is always like really, I don't know. It, it's just, it's humbling. And, and I hope to your point, exactly. Like I hope that if anything is inspirational to other women that like you can do whatever you want and there are women who will support you 
in your venture. I know, you, you may be excited to be in Arkansas, and I'm so glad that you want to stay here. You mentioned earlier kind of the brain drain, yeah. people leaving the state to go for other opportunities elsewhere, and I, I'm excited that we're creating more opportunities for people to stay here. I have a sister, and she's at Yale right now, and I'm just like, oh, please come home, you know, because she's just this amazing girl and woman, I should say, but uh, and she's amazing, and I don't I don't want her to go spend her talents elsewhere. I want her to come back right. here where we, where we can be a part of it too. So I, Absolutely. so it's, it's very exciting. Tell me again, what's the name of your company, your LLC? It's just Kim Lane Limited Company. It was because this consulting, I don't know if I even mentioned much about it, but I'll be brief, but I was doing this like pro bono consulting for a number of clients and they wanted to like back pay me for the work. And I just, it just, I needed to create an LLC for that consulting work. So it wasn't like I had any kind of like, I'm going to launch my business. It just sort of happened. So it's just called Kim Lane Limited Company. So I cut some stuff from the conversation that was just nothing that you would be interested in hearing. So I kind of jumped topics from her business to talking about the podcast generally and how excited I was about it. So that's where we go from here. I am so excited. I mean, there are just some really cool people on the list. So it's, I'm excited to do this. And I'm excited to, to feature people who don't otherwise get recognized, uh, but who should. Someone yeah. who is a cool human being. She owns Share the Love Kids Club in Conway. Um, so she's a startup founder, um, but she also has two foster kids and two kids of her own. And it's just a super cool woman. Her name is Erin Connor. Oh, yeah, please. And what? tell me again the name of the company or the business. It's called Share the Love. And it's like a cool, like, um, very Nordic feeling, like, play place for kids in downtown Conway. But, like, mm. super clean, cool, like, um, thought-provoking things for kids to, to do. Um, but it's just a nice little airy, sunlit space, and she's a super great entrepreneur. And we actually do a lot of stuff with her with the maker space because we teach them with her kiddos in there. So, anyway, she's a, okay. she's a really cool person. And I think, you know, gosh, being a foster parent, is those people are to be so commended. And oh. um, But anyway, she has two adopted kiddos and a beautiful little family. So she'd be, she's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's good to get to talk to you. Thank you, Stephanie. You too. Yeah, and just keep in touch with me. Awesome. Likewise. Good to talk. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.